Today we're talking with Jordan Bober from Seedstock.ca. Seedstock is a community currency. It's a program they're starting in Vancouver that Jordan developed for an alternative, secondary, complementary currency, however you want to term it. I think what they're doing is fantastic. It's inspiring. Uh, it gives me hope. I had to have Jordan back on. I had him on previously, I think, maybe around episode 15, I think. We had some recording issues on that one. I was having some Skype trouble that day. And I wanted to get him on, uh, get an update um, as to where they're at and when they're going to roll out this new currency. Um, there is... <laughs> I did get a nice setup today for for, uh, for this interview uh, the other day. And suddenly a neighbor's dog decided to just yap incessantly. So that goes on, I think, into about the 15th minute of the interview. Um, if you can handle it, if it doesn't bother you, roll with it. If it's really a problem, just skip ahead to about the 15 minute mark. And I pack up my belongings. I come in the, inside the house and restarted the interview with Jordan. So from there forward, I don't think you can hear the barking dog. So that's that. I, I really hope you get something out of this and it inspires you perhaps to um, at least read more about it, try something like this, get in, you know, in your community. Who knows? Um, it's pretty fantastic. And thanks for listening. Don't hate on the ads too much. All right. Thanks. This is a new affiliate of mine. Um, it's a program I've I sought them out to see if they had an affiliate program. It's called the Total Transformation Program. This is for parenting. It's parenting techniques, and it's not a, a technique. It's more so a parenting knowledge. It worked wonders for me. I did the program before I even had kids of age. I listened to it when my kid was just in when my first son was just in diapers. But it. It helped set my mind um, up for success raising kids. And I'm not exaggerating. I so strongly believe in this that I sought them out and managed to sign them up. At first, they declined me because they said my my website and my podcast just didn't seem to fit. But I told them my story and how important it was, and, and they allowed me into the program. So if you're a parent or looking to become a parent, and you want some information on proper parenting techniques, I highly recommend this program. And right now, they're, they are offering um, a special... They're offering the program basically for free. If your son is 11 to 17 years of age with oppositional or defiant behavior, and if you want to get this program for free... Um, you can participate in their market research project. And there's three simple steps. You do pay, I think, um, 20 or $25, depending on where you live, shipping and handling, plus $109. That would be the first of the three payments. You complete the program and fill out the survey, and you'll get your money back. 
So what they're going to do is kind of force you into listening, filling out the survey. And you're, you're going to participate in this program. You're going to get the knowledge. It is going to help your relationship with your son who's aged 11 and 17, and you're going to get your money back, excluding the shipping and handling, which is $19 in the United States, $25 in Canada. You cannot get a better deal than this. If your kids don't fit this profile of, if you don't have a boy, 11 to 17, it is still worth it. I paid full price five years ago, and I cannot recommend this program highly enough. I'm going to include an audio sample uh, from James Lehman, uh, the creator of this program. What you'll need to do to sign up is simply go to needhelpparenting.com. And follow the instructions. Hello, Jordan. Hey, Brian. How are you? Hey, good. And you? Great. Yeah. It was a long time no here. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, it's good to reconnect. Okay, give me one second. I was just finishing up a message with someone. Sorry. Sure, no problem. Uh, got carried away in a conversation about gut flora, so I can never let those go. I got to stick with yeah. them until the conversation ends. I gotta, I gotta help yeah. my bacteria seeking friends out. So they just have to eat some more fermented fermented products. food. Um. Yeah, unfortunately, we were actually talking about the idea of um, newborns and that aren't um, vaginally birthed, you know, through C-section births. They don't receive essential um, bacteria from the mother when they're not born through the um, vagina. Really? And, yeah, and it's an actual concern. And something like 30, 30% of those babies are become obese wow. and um, suffer other health effects pretty fascinating stuff and we were just trying to do some um poking around to see if anyone had come up with a way to treat neonatal tiny little babies with some uh to to get them their mother's natural um probiotics so kind of interesting stuff yeah that's something i would never have thought about like i I, i'm a c-section baby myself so Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to know yeah, it shows itself in a lot of manners. There's a lot of different things that uh, occur later in life mm. uh, because of that. So, interesting stuff. Just stick with your ferments. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got some beets fermenting on my counter right now. Really? I do, yeah. Hey, yeah, I actually, super uh, cool. Cool. Yeah, I took I took my first uh, fermentation workshop about a month ago. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty easy, so... Now it's kind of like, why not do this on a regular basis? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And anytime you you can, just get something started and try to yeah. try to turn it into a habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even for me, I I still get a little bit. I got too much going on, and I I kind of let those things go, you know. Yeah. So, let's get into this. Let's let's um, reconnect and talk about where you're at with um, creating a community currency. All right. Well, uh, since we last talked, 
lots has happened. <laughs> we've uh, we've come quite far in our evolution since then. Um, when we were talking, it was still pretty much still just an idea, um, and it was about uh, a currency pretty much exclusively around local food, helping to build up a stronger, more resilient local food economy. And it was me working together with, with one other guy for the most part. And since then, we've really built this up into uh, an organization, a movement, and uh, something that goes, it, the focus is still very strongly on food, but it's it's gone um, past food to, to really um, encompass local arts and crafts and uh, local healers, health and wellness professionals as well. And we've really managed to, to get people excited around this idea in Vancouver. We have um, uh, expanded our, our team. So there's actually, we've, we've just incorporated a nonprofit cooperative to administer the currency and, and to launch it. And we currently have four directors who are working full-time on this project. And in addition to that, we have uh, many other people who have been working with us in many different capacities, um, just contributing their, their time and their talents to the project um, because they, they just really believe in it. So we've been having like a lot of success in, in transplanting the vision to other people and, and just getting people in the general public uh, excited about this. So right now when I go around to Vancouver, um, a lot of people, Will end up recognizing me <laughs> as uh, being the Seedstock man, or they've they've heard of Seedstock, or they've heard about at least you know some community currency that's coming, and but they weren't sure of the name. So the word's really getting out there. Uh, we've been getting um, some pickup by the media, um, print media, and then and then the radio, and now we've got uh, one of the large uh, television networks here in British Columbia would like to do a story on us uh, pretty soon. And, and there's still more interview requests and stuff coming up. And uh, where we're at in terms of um, proximity to getting the currency launched is um, very close. We, we just had an art show at the beginning of this month on August 2nd, where we had um, invited local artists to submit designs that could be featured on the backs of, of all the different um, paper seed stock denominations. And so at our art show, we uh, we featured those, and we have voting on it. Actually, the voting is we'll know very soon what the picks are going to be, and we've got um, we got the front side lined with this beautiful design that's going to remain consistent um, sort of throughout all the different denominations. So people always recognize, okay, this is seed stock. So so we're going to get this to the printer um, in the next couple of weeks, and um, you know we've already got. A number of businesses and nonprofits that are that are signed up, and so we'll start to circulate the currency really as as soon as the paper is is available. And, and meanwhile, we're going to be um, really pushing, um, you know, business enrollment and expanding our network of businesses that are involved. That's super cool. I just wanted to let you keep going and give us a full thorough state yeah. of the union address. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> So yeah, let's go. Sorry. Can we move into some of the basics? How this works, you know, where the idea came from, in the inspiration, and then how it works, and then we'll cover some more aspects along the way. Okay. Well, uh, where the idea came from was uh, 
last year when I was I was actually working on um, setting trying to set up a uh, local neighborhood currency called the Dunbar dollar here in Vancouver, and um, it was a little bit more of a struggle. It uh, turned out not to be the right neighborhood to to try something like that in. Um, just a, kind of a more affluent uh, population and a little bit older as well, and sort of not not really as engaged, not really seeing you know why we might want to change our money. Yeah, so, especially if you're affluent in a current currency. <laughs> I don't imagine yeah, exactly. you're looking for a new one. Yeah, that's right. It's been serving them quite well. Um, but we had been in touch with uh, so with the business association in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is uh, is the poorest neighborhood in Vancouver. And the uh, executive director, or, or sorry, the president of that business association, had mused about whether you could have a community currency that would uh, connect up the different food initiatives that were starting to pop up in the downtown east side. And so that really got the wheels turning in my mind. And shortly after I came across that idea, I had the opportunity to um, uh, basically put myself down to teach uh, a one-day or like a, an evening course at a community center in the fall and and it just it had to have something to do with food so i thought perfect i will think about how community currencies could be used to help build a stronger local food economy and that is what i will present <laughs> in the fall so i had the summer to think about that um came up with with basic idea for what's now become uh, seed stock and it's kind of it's gone through a lot of iterations and evolution since then um, because immediately after I started um, formulating this idea, I started sharing it with people. Um, you know, I've spoken with literally hundreds and hundreds of, of people, um, businesses, nonprofits, and uh, and and have really you know learned kind of more what what the needs of the community are, what the opportunities are, and have adapted it to to meet those needs and opportunities. And so uh, for people who are looking at community currency, it, this isn't something you invented or created. It's not just a one-off. This is uh, based on an existing model, right? It is, yeah. The, the model that we've chosen to adopt uh, for this currency is called Community Way. And it was developed by a man named Michael Linton, um, who you may have heard about before because he he's actually one of the grandfathers, if you will, of the local currency movement Um worldwide, uh, at least the modern local currency movement. He invented the, the LET system back in 1982, which is uh, stands for Local Exchange Trading System uh, and was the first um, mutual credit trading system for regular people. I mean, there was commercial barter before that, businesses kind of trading with each other, but, uh, but there was never uh, a system like that for regular people. So he, he started at, um, actually here in Canada, um, not too far from us in Vancouver, over on Van Vancouver Island, 30 years ago. And uh, we got in touch about two years ago, and that's when I learned about Community Way, which is this new model that he's developed, and which just impressed the heck out of me, because uh, I had studied community currencies as, uh, as my master's thesis topic um, when I was studying economics. And so I came across a lot of different models of community currencies, but never came across anything 
as robust and as promising in terms of it, its potential to actually start to repattern our economy as community way. Hmm. Um, and so basically the, the way community way works is the money is, is created by local businesses. So a business comes on board, they say, okay, we're, we want to accept this currency. Um, they set their, their terms of acceptance which uh, is usually a percentage of the price of, of what they sell, and which really reflects how much of that product uh, is local value-added. So a restaurant, for example, or another service industry might accept 50% or even higher payments in the local currency. Um, you could have, If you have something like a, a retailer, uh, say grocery retail, where the markups are are quite low and where um, they need to acquire their goods through with, with conventional cash for the most part, then it might be as low as 20% acceptance. So it really uh, allows businesses to enter where they really, where they fit in that spectrum and, uh, and go from there. So anyway, the business mm-hmm. gets on board. They, they say that they will uh, accept uh, the currency under that, those conditions. And then they get to actually issue some of it. And the scale that we're looking for here with seed stock is a thousand seed stock per full-time employee that the business has. And um, so they're so, literally. It, they're, I'm they're sorry. Was it one, one second? Was it one thousand units or like? Is that well, equivalent well, to a dollar or? Yeah, one seed stock is equivalent to a Canadian dollar. Okay. So so they're essentially um, issuing uh, like a promissory note for for a thousand dollars worth of goods and services at their business and uh except that it's not specific to only their business it's uh this money can then be spent at a whole network of of businesses that are participating in seed stock so it is literally a form of money okay and is um when they generate the first thousand units say if they had one employee Mm -hmm. these, these aren't purchased there's no actual cash value that's right right that's right the business the business is underwriting it with their capacity to honor that money when it comes back to them just just as though they had issued a gift certificate Mm -hmm. they're basically saying i'm going to create this money i'm going to put it out there and when it comes back to me i'm going i'm going to accept it in my business because it's my money i created it but then the interesting thing is it's a gift certificate written to any business that accepts it that's right, but every business has its own unique commitment mm-hmm. to honor the amount that it's that it's put out into circulation. And how it gets out into circulation is is one of the interesting things about this model because obviously if you just had businesses creating money and then, you know, trying to pop it off on the public, you know, they that might not go over very well. Um, so the way it, it comes into circulation is through a gift. So the businesses will um, donate uh, most of it to a nonprofit or, or multiple nonprofits in the community of its choice. And here in Vancouver, with Seedstock, we're focusing on any nonprofit organization, group, project that is working to enhance local food security, uh, lo- the local arts uh, scene, or health and wellness in Vancouver. Those are the three areas of focus. So, so they get it out to these nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jordan, yeah? can can you hear the dogs barking in the background very loudly? Yes, I can. Okay, I'm gonna I, stop. I, I gotta, I gotta move inside. Okay.
<laughs> the, now right. three neighbors have chimed in, so um, I'm going to call you back. Okay, no I'm, problem. I'm really sorry about that. No, that's okay. I'll okay. talk to you soon. All right, Cheers. bye. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jordan. Can you hear All me? All right, no more dogs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm super sorry about that. I've never had that happen before. Are they your dogs or neighbors' no, dogs? No, we, we just moved um, a, a month and a half ago to a new mm-hmm. place, and it's the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, nothing I can do. They're like three yards away. I don't really know them. Actually, that's funny. Just a couple of days ago, I think some some of my neighbors got a dog because I've just been hearing it barking at night. <laughs> Never heard that before. So same yeah. boats. It's it's really quite annoying. I I'm not a huge fan of pets to begin with because mm-hmm. of that reason. It's just people just can't manage. They don't know how to manage uh, their lives, let alone. <laughs> <laughs> the lives of other of other species. Of other, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> and all right, let's try to. Boy, I hate stopping because it's hard to get back into position. But let's give it a go. All right. I think so uh, yeah, we, do you know where you're at? Yeah, I know where I'm at. Okay. So I was uh, I was talking about um, how the the businesses will um, gift the money that they've created to a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And then what those nonprofits can do with it is, uh, well, they can use it just like money um, at any of the businesses that will accept it, or they can reward their volunteers with it, and those volunteers go and spend it at the local businesses, or they can exchange it for Canadian dollars with their supporters in the community, with the general public. So so now as a member of the public, what you can do is go to your favorite um say, community garden club or, or anything dealing with food security or, or a soup kitchen even, you can give them 100 bucks and you can get 100 seed stock back that you know that you'll be able to spend at all these local businesses that will accept it. So the nonprofits are really acting as like this uh, kind of this pumping mechanism to, to get the currency that's being created by the businesses out into the public uh, they're using it as this great fundraiser that allows them to um, basically generate resources they've never had before to do what they're doing. And all the members of the public that buy it will then start going more frequently to local businesses that are participating in seed stock to make their purchases. So it's it's supporting the local economy. The businesses are doing well because they're attracting customers without having to, to give out discounts uh, they're basically uh, attracting customers because they've created a money that is supporting these local community groups and so they're being rewarded for for their ongoing support to those groups and uh, mm-hmm. once the businesses earn it well it's it's still money it's not like a gift certificate or a coupon that would just be uh, cut up or stashed under the till that's money that they can actually spend themselves on other businesses um, perhaps things that uh, that the business needs, so they can start shifting more of their their uh, supply line to local sources, or it could just be uh, you know the owner taking out some of the seed stock to spend on personal items at other local businesses, or they can give bonuses to their employees with seed stock. They can give more of it away to local groups. Hmm. You know, it's a, they, there's it's a, it's a fairly flexible currency. It's not quite yeah. as stiff as I kind of imagine it. I I always see like a little bit of a stumbling block at the producer side. 
um, the mm-hmm. farmer end where he may not spend money uh, um, in a way, you know, he may not have a channel to, for him to use the money back. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like my, the farmer I buy my meat from is, mm-hmm. um, how far is he? He's an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes from me, right? But that, they don't leave the farm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, that's what they do. They live on there. So I, 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 that's where I see a stumbling block. Like to say, for example, someone like him, what would be his incentive or motivation? Well, that's why seed stock allows people to accept um, a percentage of seed stock as payment for their product. So that we're not asking anybody to take 100% seed stock as payment and, and displace their cash flow that they need for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's really designed. It's it's designed to actually make better use of a business's capacity, and in the case of farmers, um, to enable people to um, to actually pay full price or like the price that the farmer needs um, for their produce. So, for example, um, you know, right now, like I I know uh, several uh, urban farmers here in Vancouver who. You know, have they? They have challenges selling their stuff, especially uh, around this time of year when there's there's just so much available from from all over the place, just kind of streaming into the city, and so they're competing with with a lot of other produce, and uh, you know they they need a certain price in order to um, make it economical for them to do what they're doing, um, but there's a lot of competition. Now, if, if people have seed stock and and these farmers are willing to accept a, a percentage of their payment in seed stock, suddenly those price considerations um, aren't the same as, as what they were pre-seed stock. Because now it's like, well, that farmer will accept seed stock and I have seed stock, so it makes sense for me to get it from them. Yeah, so they're still getting their full value. It's just a mixed currency. Exactly. And and also, I know that a lot of them end up having to uh, discount their stuff pretty heavily as well. I mean, if they go to a farmer's market and, and they can't sell everything at that farmer's market, oftentimes they're forced to, um, you know, sell it at 50% off or more to to somebody else. And, and so they're losing out a lot. Now, I don't think, I, th- I think there's, um, where, where a community currency comes in is that those farmers can continue to be, um, compensated in maybe not uh, all in Canadian dollars, but in in the community currency as well, because we don't have any shortage of that. This is money that's being created by the community. There's actually a lot of abundance that we can unlock in the community um, through the, the spare capacity that already ex- exists in our businesses and and just among the people, and people with talents and you know skills and, and time that. They're just not able. They don't have the opportunity in the in the conventional economy to put to good use mm-hmm. for I themselves. Just, and for the yeah, I just finished up an interview with a local urban farmer myself mm-hmm. just a couple nights ago, and I'm going to release that podcast. I think tomorrow or Tuesday. But, okay. Um, he's a for-profit individual farmer, mm-hmm. and his one of his biggest complaints is non for uh, non-profit farms. Mm. Um. They're beautiful here. Uh, it's funny. The non-for-profit farms are always, they have beautiful hoop houses, infrastructure. They have administration. <laughs> they hire the local Amish to plow, till, set the farms up. 
And then here's my for-profit friend struggling to get by. His produce is much more expensive. And so that's just some of the complaints he had. You know, his tomatoes are hitting market at $2 a pound. The not-for-profits are $1.50. So even his committed customers... Yeah, even his committed customers just say, sorry, but I have to, you know, it's too big of a difference. I I can't Mm -hmm. buy from you. So I would like to kind of tie that all together in my head and f- sort that out like how that could be advantageous to my local farmer and i'm st- my wheels are still spinning on it I'll, I'll, i'm just super intrigued by all the angles well i i think the best way to understand the currency i mean if, if you kind of look at it as as this system the way i've just been describing it mm-hmm. um you know it, there's there's a lot to wrap your your head around you know it's like uh you know trying to understand how a clock works a little bit but if you if you look at it like this, that we we have a lot of wealth in our community right now. Um, it's just not moving around. It's just not uh, we're just not able to to share it and trade it with each other because we lack the means of exchange to to do that because because we're using this conventional cash, which is uh, is, is scarce. It's tight. People have a lot of anxiety about it, so you don't spend it unless so you're, you're unless talking about some type of human asset some wealth as in the, well i mean what we're capable I, um, of producing human, yeah human and and material assets so the human assets are the people who uh have these you know tremendous uh skills and talents and who are hard working but who are misemployed you know like so, so people that uh, could be doing things that are really creative for example and and have to work you know in a coffee shop to make a living for example or uh, people who are under underemployed, so they're just working a few hours a week, or unemployed altogether. So that that already represents a pool of potential wealth we can be tapping into, and it's you know people that could actually be living in their gift, doing what they they enjoy doing, and which is making a contribution to the community. That's that's something that we, um, if we were to tap into that, it would give great benefit not only to the community but to the person who is able to make a living with their passion mm-hmm. that's so that's yeah. that's key that's huge and then if you look at just about any local business um they all have spare capacity you know you you have lots of restaurants that you know don't fill up all their tables you know they could be providing more meals um given the same exact same overhead and staff and everything that they have but you know the, the customers just aren't there um you know local capacity from a store means you know maybe they're they're just not selling things very quickly uh local capacity in a theater means you know there's seats that are empty you know when the movie starts you know there's there's all this capacity that's out there now if we can take that capacity and create a currency that is based in that you know, just the way currency used to be based in gold. Well, let's have a currency that's based on the, the the abundance that we have in our community, and that currency is what's going to allow that wealth and abundance to start circulating. Because it only really becomes wealth when the relationship starts forming, people start exchanging these gifts and this capacity, uh, and all of these things with each other yeah. for mutual benefit. Mm-hmm. So that that is what seed stock is designed to unleash. I see one different angle. Am I correct in thinking this way where 
saving these bills, seed stock bills, mm-hmm. doesn't have quite the value or incentive it does in current currency. Right. I mean, you can't... It uh, needs to be in motion, right? That's right. So one of the key differences between conventional money and a community currency like seed stock is that conventional money, because it's the scarcity money, it's it's more valuable to have more of it for yourself. And it's the kind of currency where less for you means more for me, and I'll stick it in my bank account, you know, and I'll get interest on it. And the more I have, the more I'll get, and the more secure I'll, I'll feel because I have this, you know, this 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 pillow of money or this cushion of money around me. Yeah, you me. get compounded interest once you're in the savings loop. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's conventional money. Now with seed stock, it's it's a currency of relationship and exchange. It's not it's not designed to be a store of wealth. It's not something that that you can sort of hoard and and then lend out at interest because this is money that's being created um, from within the community based on capacity in the community. And it's it it it's meaningless to hoard seed stock. Like it's that that's like hoarding information in a way. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you're not getting any benefit from it. And you can't stick it in the bank. You can't uh, you know, buy uh, assets with it, like you know, houses and stuff. You can't go on vacation with it. It's it's designed to be spent within your community, and so that's a that's a very key difference. It's it's going to stay in the community. It's going to go around in the community, and uh, and it's it's not scarce. It's sufficient for what the community needs. How do you have any information on how many communities um, are currently? Uh, offering <clears throat> currency like this? Well, this this model is actually um, quite a minority. Uh, the, there is a instance of it running in the Comox Valley, where Michael Linton is from, uh, which is a uh, there's like three three small towns very close to each other, maybe about twenty thousand people together among them. Uh, then there's uh, there's a more recent one that was set up. In the uh, the Kootenays in interior British Columbia, uh, again there's uh, three communities there: uh, Nelson, Fernie, and Kimberly, that have all gotten together and, and created what they call the community dollar. Hmm. Uh, and then aside from that, there's uh, there's one that's that's in in progress being set up in Powell River, also in BC, and there's uh, plans afoot in London, actually in the Hackney Borough of London. To, to create one there, because uh, Michael Linton also has contacts there, hmm. uh, and then there's seed stock, and that's that's it. So it's um, it's very much uh, for now, at least, it's, it's kind of a BC phenomenon, mm-hmm. and this is something that um, we really do want to propagate around the world, and uh, and I think we have some really good possibilities to do that. We've are, actually been sorry. Go ahead. Well, so what are the what are the worst aspects, the biggest hurdles? Are there legal questions or is it – tell me some things that are problems. Well, there aren't really any, any legal problems with it. I mean, there's uh, – of course, there's legal questions. People will, will always it, – it's amazing how, how often people will bring up things like, oh, how does this work with tax? Well, it works the same way as regular money with tax. You know, if you earn 
seed stock, the government will tax it. Um, of course, they don't, but they won't accept seed stock as payment for that tax. Though so they'll they'll want the Canadian dollar, but it's they treat it the same way. And, and same thing if you make expenses in seed stock, you can write that off against your business. If you make a donation in seed stock if, to a charity, you can get a charitable tax receipt. Okay, so, so you're, you're definitely you have to stay on board with the current system and yeah, yeah, incorporate the new currency yeah into your bookkeeping. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, Let me ask you this: Is there, is it built into money management software programs to be able? Say, if I'm running QuickBooks, mm-hmm. does it take into account a payment system like this? Is it is it easy for a bookkeeper at a business? Um, well, most most bookkeeping softwares do um, have the ability to add uh, another currency, um, which could be. You know, we have a lot of businesses here in Vancouver that will accept American dollars, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people can, can use those kinds of functions. Um, you could also just treat it like cash in your bookkeeping, but have uh, one account, which is kind of your, your seed stock account. So it's you just know that that's, uh, you know, that, that amount of money that's, that's in that it's account just for is, seed stock. Okay. is in your seed stock account. So. Mm-hmm. So there's there's definitely there's not a problem with it. There there are many businesses that are already doing their bookkeeping with C stock um, in the Comox Valley and the Kootenays, like where this uh, is already running. So mm-hmm. so all those situations have already been encountered, and ways to to deal with them have been have been found. So that's uh, that's not a hurdle. I mean, it could be a perceptual hurdle from some people, but actually, that's not a thing that usually that we usually hear about from businesses in terms of like, oh, how the heck would I do this? Okay. All right. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the legal angle with the government, but I think you cleared that up. It's just like, well, in the United States, even if you barter, um, mm-hmm. you're required to um, claim all the bartering, you know, to report. Exactly, and, and, and here too as well. Actually, one of the differences between Canada and the States um, is that... Uh, one of the reasons why the the let system of sort of mutual exchange among people mm-hmm. never really took off in the states is because the IRS started asking for um, the uh, the people running the exchanges to to basically provide the IRS with you know regular information about all the exchanges happening in that network, mm. and so that basically killed it because I mean these are organizations like these are, these are usually volunteer run. Um, exchanges so that when you add that kind of overhead to it it just kills the whole yeah. concept here in canada that kind of reporting has never been a requirement but people are required to report um, their earnings on their own so it's it's definitely not a tax dodge situation in fact it's it's it would be harder to dodge taxes with a system like this than with um just using the cash that the government provides us with anyways <laughs> Yeah, if it, yeah, cash transactions. I think, especially now, that maybe one of the incentives that they're trying to um, get us to not use cash anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, that's we've seen in in Italy uh, earlier this year or, or late last year. I forget which they issued a decree that uh, any transaction for more than a thousand euros had to be by either check, credit card, debit card. Anything but cash, 
because they Ooh, they want to wow really they want to keep track yeah and they want to actually they want to lower that threshold progressively over time down to three hundred euros. Wow. So they they want there to be a paper trail or some 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 mechanism of control for any kind of larger um, monetary transaction that's taking place, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that kind of policy uh, start to spread to other countries. You know, as um, economic panic starts to you know spread. Yeah, and then the funny thing is, when they're clamping down with the amount of cash dollars you can spend, it's at the exact same time that inflation <laughs> is completely devaluing the money. So even if they do set it at a thousand units, that money's probably only worth five hundred, four hundred, or three hundred at that point because of inflation. So, well, it and it all depends. I, I think it's actually more likely that. Uh, that we would see a deflationary uh, situation start to develop. Okay. Uh, when if things go really wrong, which they still can, uh, just because you know so much of our money is uh, consists of you know credit at banks, and credit disappears like overnight when you have a, a like an economic collapse. It's it's essentially because you know it's it's all fictitious to begin with. It's it's kind of notional, and um, as soon as people realize that oh <laughs> that's never going to be paid off, that money doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 money. Just yeah, I was. I think I was thinking more of the run up to a collapse, whereas a quote from Ben Bernanke recently, basically he believed the Fed could drop bills from a helicopter that they had the ability. They were, they're so smart <laughs> and, and so in control. He literally said that they could drop, they could airdrop money and it, and it would not be a problem. So I was thinking about a run up to a system like that where, you know, cash does hit it inflationary. You know, there's, well, let's let that go. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Ben Bernanke. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. So I do love the value of this, especially in in a bad case scenario, in a bad economics you know, economic situation, like even in a collapse situation, mm-hmm. where the the community money would have a heightened value. It would, yeah, and uh, you know that's the great thing about this model is that it works in good times and in bad. So there's there's always an incentive to use a community currency. If you're in prosperous times, well, you can treat it as, "Hey, this this is a way to, you know, not only make us more prosperous or make us use our, our resources more efficiently, but we can help out these community groups at the same time." Uh, if times uh, start to get really, really tough, tougher than they are now, we could see uh, community currencies being the main mode of, of transaction in a community. Um, which is exactly what's happening in, in some communities in Greece right now, like in, in Volos. Uh, they, they've created a unit of currency called the TEM, which is getting a lot of use um, because euros just aren't flowing mm-hmm. like they used to in Greece. And the fact that the community currency is based on core essential values for any given community. Mm-hmm. You're starting with food, you know, and... and and up the scale from there. And every community will determine, you know, would, would create it based on the local 
wealth, right? That's right. It's, it's based on, on local um, sort of physical and, and human wealth and value, but it also it has certain values kind of imbued in it as well. Like people know that by by using seed stock, uh, they are they're changing their money into one that values community and collaboration and um, and helping people reach their human potential and a stronger local economy and a more sustainable economy as well. Because it's uh, a lot of these things that we produce locally. Well, they're very low um, in terms of their environmental footprint. I mean, as soon as you start to buy, you know, imported goods, uh, you know, electronics, things like that, that's when you're looking at, you know, high a high footprint. But um, you know, if people are, are kind of trading food and and enjoying more local arts and performances, and uh, you know, going to uh, see healers and then you know, learning yoga and, and all that kind of stuff, that's, uh, you know, they're getting a tremendous amount of value um, for almost no ecological footprint. Yeah, I love it. That's great. I had recently heard a podcast on um, the Survival Podcast, and he interviewed an anonymous, mostly an anonymous person in the Balkans who um, lived through their upheaval in the 90s, mm-hmm. and he explained what became valuable in a situation where there was a collapse mm-hmm. and pretty much some of the most valuable things were if it burned <laughs> yeah <laughs> like your furniture oh hopefully it's made of wood we can burn it yeah. you know everything everything changes at that point your $4000 television is is an anchor it, it's the most useless thing in your world right yeah so the yeah interesting Interesting stuff um, could provide you a little, a little leverage in any economy, current mm-hmm. or whatever's to come. I guess exactly. And then there's the community angle. So, um, getting local citizens involved with local businesses. I mean that it's pretty brilliant. I every angle I see, it just look looks better and better to me. I love it. Well, it's because it's it's building up these relationships that have been eroded. Um, especially over the last 20 years or so as we've become more and more globalized and and more and more of our economy has become monetized. So, you know, we used to, we used to actually provide ourselves with a lot more of our own services or, or it used to be, we used to obtain services from other people without necessarily paying for them in money in their other ways. And, and over time, you know, it's just economic growth has relied on this idea that we can we can take something that used to be free or that used to be exchanged for things other than money or was a part of the commons and we're going to to package it up in a way that we can sell to people for money so it becomes monetized and um, so with with a community currency you're you're getting a currency that is is based much more on, on kind of building up these relationships between people again you know, whereas with conventional money, you pay somebody and, and you don't and you're kind of independent from them. It's, there's this idea that, you know, you sure you needed what they had to provide, but you didn't need that person in particular. You know, they're just you, you could have you could have gone to any other person and, and gotten the same good or service or you could have you know imported this good from across the world. You're, you're kind of independent from any one particular person. But if you start to create 
uh, a local economic network, a local economic loop, well, suddenly it changes. You know, it, you need to start looking around at like, hmm, what can my neighbors provide? Um, you start to develop situations of, of loyalty with a with a local business. You know, and it's it's you know a way to get to know people and. Um, Really, that's that's what resilience is mm-hmm. built on. Yeah, and I guess this does require a community with a strong um, artisan craft food production base, right? You can't. Well, that certainly helps. Yeah, you really need. <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of need that angle, I, I guess. Yeah. But but also um, because seed stocks designed to to start where the businesses are at at that time and then it kind of accelerates a shift towards a more local economy i think that any community could could really start with something like seed stock and uh and and it will actually start to create the incentives um for some of the services that are lacking to start to um materialize in in that community just because we have we have so many people who are you know might be in an existing community and and just you know, there's something that they can do that would be extremely valuable, but there's no money in it for them at this time because, well, people go and get that from Walmart, and Walmart gets from China. <laughs> yeah. But as as soon as you you have a local currency, it it really changes the dynamics about like, well, where do you get these things from? Like, are we going to buy that from Walmart, or are we going to buy it from this local craftsperson who happens to make a high quality product and they'll accept? Yeah, and then currency. yeah, and then from that aspect, you may be getting a higher quality product without the cost typically associated with the higher quality. Um, exactly. I mean, like they, a local would... local art mm-hmm. can be. You know, uh, I'm not going to be buying any. It's too expensive. And well, here's here's a good example from from the Comox Valley. Uh, so uh, Michael Linton, uh, who who invented the community way model was telling me about how he had never before purchased art. Like, he just never really felt like he could afford it until they started currency there. And there was an artist that was accepting uh, their local currency for, for their art. And and so he, he bought a piece of art for the very first time in his life because he felt that he could afford it now because he had this community currency. And, and he knew that, you know, when he spent it, it was going to eventually come back to him because you're part of this local network where the money just keeps circulating and so he could afford to be a patron of the arts <laughs> i love it that's great you also mentioned wellness in there what what's that angle um well so that's bringing in um anybody involved in uh health and wellness so uh physical mental spiritual wellness uh that could be you know healers um you know, physiotherapists, chiropractors, uh, counselors, yoga instructors, uh, really any anything that just helps people feel better in mind, body, spirit. Mm-hmm. So even licensed practitioners would be able to... Yes. Yeah. yeah, certainly anybody. Um, and and I think that that's... When, when you kind of bring food, arts, and, and health and wellness together... These are these are three things that are very very local by their very nature, or can be local. I mean, obviously the food system is is the one that we need to shift most, but we we do have 
local food initiative starting. And uh, and they're really the three things that are kind of most essential to uh, the well-being of our civilization. And in a lot of ways, uh, you know, we, we need food. We need to um, we need to have food that's produced sustainably and uh, and healthy for us. Uh, local art is really what defines our local culture. If you don't have a strong local artistic community, um, you're really living in a quite an empty community in a lot of ways and uh, the health and wellness well those are um, very uh, important investments that anybody can make into into themselves as as people you know if they can afford to um, start to you know frequent um, some of these these professionals who can, can really work wonders for people uh, but who may have been out of the reach uh, or, or perceived to be out of the reach mm -hmm. of a lot of people, then uh, that's that's great. Like to get get those people sharing their gifts with more people in the community because they're yeah. they're also struggling a lot of times as well. They don't have enough customers. Right. I love it's, the incentive there. Whereas most poor will they get their services through the emergency room because mm -hmm. you just have yeah, to show up when things go wrong. Exactly. Instead of maintenance. So yeah, that's oh, I love it. So. Where are you at in your time frame and and all that? Well, in terms of our time frame, um, we want to get the money out to be printed very soon. So uh, we're holding by the beginning of September uh, is when we can start to, when we'll have actual printed CD stock that we can start to roll out. Um, and then something else that's come up that's really exciting and that's uh, kind of given us uh, a different focus is that there's this uh, conference, or, well, we don't want to call it a conference, let's say an event, a week-long event taking place in Vancouver um, in late, or late November called Living the New Economy. And so it's, it's devoted to, uh, to the new economy. And uh, Charles Eisenstein, I'm not sure if you know him, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be there speaking. And uh, we were contacted quite early on by the organizers of this uh, event, uh, you know, basically asking if how we see ourselves participating and that they, they'd love to see Seedstock involved in this because it's one of the most tangible um, examples right now of, of a real new economy movement in Vancouver. And uh, so we've, we've had several really great meetings uh, with the organizers and have entered into sort of partnership um, that will basically see Seedstock get quite a bit of exposure um, at the event itself. We'll be able to, to present uh, Seedstock and, and community currency to the participants. And we're also going to try to uh, raise some money to finance the event itself through Seedstock. So we're going we're gonna to go around, um, actually starting this week, to uh, businesses, especially in the neighborhood, where, where the uh, conference is going to take place, which is Granville Island, and um, ask businesses if they'd like to get on board with Seedstock and use some of their issuance to sponsor this event. And then uh, some of the people who, who come and, and attend the event can actually gain admission not through the regular you know, pay cash for your admission ticket mm -hmm. model, but uh, through buying Seedstock. So it's it's just an exchange. It's kind of a gift, and they can go 
then to businesses in that neighborhood and spend it if they like hmm. right after the conference or hmm. during the conference. So that's that's something that's been really exciting and um, a lot of our uh, strategizing has been kind of around uh, you know how best to uh, to use this opportunity. Cool. Where is the best place for people to learn more online? Well, I mean, if they uh, go to our website at uh, seedstock.ca, then they can learn a lot more about Seedstock. And, and we do have uh, uh, resources and, and links to um, other, uh, other sites that they, where they can learn a lot more about community currencies and open money in general, which is the general uh, rubric, rubric under which we, we operate. Um, open money is basically a philosophy that money is first and foremost information and that therefore any network of people can create its own money to track its own uh, transactions amongst each other. And Seedstock is, is an example of that where the businesses happen to be the issuers and that is information. It also has a paper manifestation, but the paper is not the money. This is, goes to your money as measure idea? Exactly, yeah. What, what, can you tell me more? What does that mean? Well, what that means is um, if uh, let's, let's imagine that you had a, uh, a bunch of carpenters that got together and they've got a bunch of materials. They've got lumber, and they've got nails and hammers, and you know they've got good weather, and they've got really everything that they need to build a house. And then suddenly they realize that they don't have enough inches. You know that that's kind of an absurd notion. You know, and why? <laughs> yeah, why it was just like what? Wait a minute. Yeah, okay. Well, it's it's the exact same thing with with anything that we do in our economy. Uh, money, money is there to um, to ba- basically uh, uh, direct and and coordinate human effort. It allows a group of, of people and even strangers to come together and to work towards some common end because they know that they're all you know all their contributions are being tracked and they're being compensated for it and rewarded for it and acknowledged, and that they can then take those tokens that they're being rewarded with and acknowledged with, and they can spend it somewhere else and get things that they need. So those tokens are money. Now, in our current system, we have a form of money that is scarce. It's not really created uh, to be uh, sufficient for the needs of any particular community. Um, You know, it's accumulated in some places. Other places have a dearth of it. And what we're saying is that that's that's just as ridiculous as saying, well, oh, all the inches are over there. That guy's got all the inches, or you know, we don't have enough inches to be able to measure what we're going to share with each other here in this community. The answer to that is, well, then stop using those inches that are um, being withheld from you or that you don't have access to, and create your own inches, create your own unit of measure. That unit of measure can be the same length as an inch too. You can take a cord and you can tie knots in it and, you know, an inch apart from each other and use that as your measure and get on with building the house. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be uh, hampered from exchanging and coordinating your efforts with other people simply because there's no money. Okay. Because if that's the case, then you create your own money. 
I love it. It's a, it's a little bit to think about. It's just out, so outside the traditional model that it's, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, have you ever read any uh, Douglas Rushkoff, or the book, uh, the book Life Inc. in particular? No, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, he has a a book called Life Inc. and it's about the history of corporations and mm-hmm. basically how they own us yeah. and what to do about it. He goes back. He just covers the history of corporations. I mean, all the way back, and then. Um, he talks about alternative currencies throughout history and how important they are. Um, I need to go back. I got to read the book again in the next week. I'm gonna, he's going to be on the show, so mm-hmm. cool. I want to talk to him more about his ideas and what he's working on. So, yeah, well, and I, I think that people are, are starting to realize more and more, like the that the emperor has no clothes, essentially, because uh, you know it's like you said, if, if Bernanke starts talking about you know taking money and, and throwing it out from a helicopter. I mean, people are going to start to realize, wow, okay, so so what is money, actually? You know, where where does this money come from that they're throwing out of the helicopter? You know, and why why are we so reliant on that particular money? And why are we killing each other uh, <laughs> and, and competing to death? And, and some people are starving because there's not enough of this money that they apparently have enough of that they can throw out of a helicopter whenever they want to. Yeah, there's enough they can just throw it at us, yet... <laughs> There's not enough for people to feed themselves, so exactly, it's very difficult. Yeah, it's mm. so. Mm-hmm. I think the the veil is being lifted from money, um, and people are starting to um, ask themselves the questions about where money actually comes from and what gives it its value to begin with, and that that's just a step away from realizing how really anybody, not just the Fed or any central bank or government or bank. And create money. It's um, they did it, it. We can too, kind of thing. <laughs> Is that... yeah, it's, it's just it's a matter of, of getting people together to um, to agree on something having the value of money. Okay, how do you control the printing and distribution? Well, in the case of Seedstock, um, it's our our nonprofit cooperative that we created. Will um, be in charge of, of printing the seed stock. Now, it doesn't actually have value as money unless it's backed by a business um, and, and then it enters into circulation. So that's what I mean, yeah. So they have to um, they have to procure these and then push them out into the marketplace? Exactly. That, like yeah. a, a business would, uh, they get on board, they say they want their issuance to go to a particular nonprofit. And then uh, that nonprofit, they want they like so basically this takes place as a an accounting entry to begin with. You know the business goes goes into the negative on the account by say a thousand seed stock. The nonprofit goes up by a thousand, and then um, if the nonprofit has an opportunity where they can do some direct exchange with their uh, supporters, well they can withdraw some of that as cash that they can just take out there and, and basically exchange with people. Or uh, people will be able to come to our website or to some exchange stations that we want to set up uh, and buy uh, seed stock from nonprofits through those means as well. And is there a way to buy with cash directly? Uh, well, there there will be. We're we're going to set up um, a service on on the website that will allow people to uh, to buy seed stock with okay. cash and. Actually, we, we have something set up right now so that people can buy 
seed stock harvest futures <laughs> in advance. Um, and, and that's how we've actually raised uh, the money that we have been using so far to, to carry this project forward. On this so is the been, 100 by 100, is that? Oh, yeah, we have the 100 by 100 for the first uh, 100 people to, uh, to contribute uh, 100 or, or more, to, to pre-exchange 100 or more. We've also been getting uh, other people doing smaller amounts or other people doing um, larger amounts. So uh, to date, we've pre-exchanged about, just about $10,000 uh, for seed stock in advance, so before the currency even exists. So that's pretty cool. Have you identified a size of a community that is ideal for starting something like this? Is there a community that's too large or too small? Um, I don't think so. I mean, uh, in terms of, I, I think there's, there's probably a minimum size uh, at which it, it would be feasible to, to have a, a paper currency circulating, just because there are expenses around that, and so you kind of need some scale around that. Um, but like I said, in, in the Comox Valley and and in the Kootenays, like those are pretty small communities, um, you know, between twenty to forty thousand people, and and it's worth there. Uh, Vancouver will be by far the largest uh, kind of community in which this has ever been attempted, and and we think that that's actually that it's it's going to work better um, to yeah. be in a large community like that. <clears throat> what, what how big is Vancouver? Well, Vancouver proper has about uh, 650,000, and the metro Vancouver area has close to 2.3 million. Oh, wow. Okay. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, so we're really focused right now on more on Vancouver proper. I think that's, and, that's almost the same. I'm, I would guess that's about the same size as Cleveland and the surrounding... Uh, the 2.3 million or so? Yeah, in the, in the overall... Northeast Ohio, they call it Neo, Northeast Ohio. Yeah. Hmm, maybe approaching that. Interesting. Do you have resources for people who want to get something like this started for themselves? In other communities um, or well, around the world? <laughs> no. We don't, we don't quite have a, a manual or anything um, for how to start a community way um, program, but that is something that we is part of our, our mandate. What we ultimately want to do is, is be able to help other communities get things like this started. And so if anybody's interested and they, they want more information, um, they can definitely get in touch with us. Um, and they'll, they'll also get a pretty good idea by looking at our website. I mean, a lot, a lot of this is, is really us kind of figuring things out as we go as well, just because this is, um, you know, even though the, the currency has uh, been started in some smaller communities, I mean, it's, it's kind of a different situation here. And um, so we're, we're kind of learning as we go, you know, how do we finance this? How do we, how do we set up partnerships? You know, how do we get the businesses enrolled? Um, so we'll, we'll, have, we'll be able to give people a lot better idea in a couple of months, you know, when we have time to sort of be retrospective about it and, and start to write of a manual you know, this is how we started <laughs> but yeah, in right meantime, right because yeah. then you're going to have some history yeah exactly um but yeah in the meantime if anybody is interested to know more i would say you know look at our website and uh, feel free to get in touch with us uh, for any other questions you might have that's super cool yeah it's going to be great
Yeah, so well. Uh, thanks yeah. for thanks for the time again, jo- Jordan. I, I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm really uh, it's it's awesome to uh, to connect with people on the other end of the continent who are thinking around similar things. It's, it's actually really inspiring. We've had um, a few other uh, people from, from other parts of the United States also expressing interest in what we're doing. And so it gives me a lot of hope that um, once we get this nailed in Vancouver, we can really get propagated very quickly into other communities and start making a much bigger difference than we could even make just in our city. So that's uh, that's really one of the motivations that uh, keeps me going is, is knowing just how big this can be. That's awesome. Thanks for doing just for doing what you do. I, I absolutely love it. And well, thanks thank for you, your sir. time. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure as always. All right. We'll talk to you later, Jordan. Hey, take care. All right. Bye. to include now at the end of this show is a clip from James Lehman, the creator of the Total Transformation Program, talking about this. Uh, it's a short segment. And it's called Focus on the Behavior. So this is for parents uh, to teach you how to focus on your child's behavior. I'm just going to include this clip. It's going to run out and that'll be the end of the show. What I would like you to do, if you're interested, is please go to needhelpparenting.com for more information. Thank you. Focus on the problematic behavior that is occurring now. Be specific. State what behavior you want to see changed now, not on what attitudes or emotions you want to see changed. It takes much longer for emotions to change than it does for behaviors to change. Remember this. People say, I want you to have a better attitude. What they're really saying is, I want you to have uh, different expectations and I want you to have different perceptions. Well, those expectations and perceptions are shaped by the way parents respond to kids. If you want them to have a different attitude, you have to shape their expectations and perceptions in such a way that they don't think they're in control and that they don't think they can get in control by being disrespectful or abusive to you. It's a very important thing to understand. We're not looking for the kid not to be angry. We're looking for him to manage the impulsive behavior that anger triggers. A lot of parents say, don't resent me. Ah, too late. What the parents has to be saying or thinking is whether you're resentful or not, now's the time to go do your homework. Whether you're resentful or not, don't call me names. Whether you're angry or not, you don't call me names. If you're angry, that's fine. People have feelings all the time. You have to learn to take responsibility for your feelings. In the one-minute transformation, you just want to focus on what's going on now. You want what's going on now to stop. You want to say what you see changed. I want you to go to your room and do your homework. I want you to stop yelling at your sister. Don't say, I want you to stop being angry. Say, I want you to stop punching walls. Feelings make parents uncomfortable. And parents, a lot of times, deal with the the discomfort of bad feelings from their kids by trying to change their own behavior. And that doesn't work. 
If my kid is angry, there's absolutely nothing in the world I can do about that. I can only act in a way that is going to promote him taking responsibility for that anger. If I start making speeches with him and and moralizing with him and talking to him about all the good things in his life that he shouldn't be angry about and why is he angry again or if I get into all of that kind of stuff, you know, that's because I'm uncomfortable as a parent. Parents need to become more comfortable with their kids' bad feelings. Parents need to become more comfortable with their kids' bad attitudes and start focusing on their kids' inappropriate behavior. 